Welcome to Awareness to Action, a podcast brought to you by the Northwestern Community Services Board Prevention Department. I'm your host, Casey, a social worker and prevention specialist here in Virginia. Our podcast goal is to promote wellness through conversation, connection, and action. We hope each episode will leave you feeling inspired and motivated to look for ways to get involved in your own community. Hello, and welcome back to Awareness to Action. I'm happy to welcome Brian Johnson to the show today. Brian serves his community in a multitude of ways, some of which include his roles as an author, a pastor, and a certified senior peer recovery specialist and supervisor. Brian has discovered that he loves supporting, encouraging, and advocating for people who have experienced addiction and trauma. It was really, really special to sit down with Brian and learn about his life and the experiences that have formed his worldview. His capacity for hope and his desire to find ways to partner with those in his community and beyond is inspiring. This conversation left me with a whole lot to think about. I felt both encouraged and challenged, and I hope you will too. As a heads up, this episode includes dialogue on domestic violence, gun and knife violence, substance use, and overdose. Brian bravely shares these parts of his story with us, but if you feel it might be best for your own mental wellness to avoid this part of the conversation, you can skip ahead to the seven-minute mark of the episode. All right, Brian, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you can be with us today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited about being here. Thank you for the opportunity. Let's start with you telling our listeners about yourself, your story, and the work you do in your community. My name is Breon Johnson. I'm, I'm from uh, some projects in Norfolk, Virginia, um, that's called Grandy Park. Um, I was raised uh, by a single parent. Uh, my mother was never married. Um, and uh, in, that pro- in the projects, I, I faced a lot of, uh, you know, hardships and things like that. I've seen witnessed a lot of domestic violence with my mom. Um, that kind of impacted me greatly, even into my 20s, 30s, and, and, and 40s. My dad was locked up. My dad was a Vietnam vet um, who just passed away last year. He, he was a Vietnam vet, PTSD, really bad um, addiction, heroin, opiate addiction that he succumbed to after he relapsed last year. But uh, he was in and out of jail. He was in and out of jail um, for most of my life, for most of my life. And then that my mom dated those kind of bad guys. I guess you call them bad guys. And typically they was friends. Um, and all of them knew my dad, didn't like my dad. And so I had to, uh, um, you know, listen to the, um, tell your daddy, you know, hitting and things like that. And so very, very early on, I was, um, I had a lot of fear and anxiety that impacted me greatly. Um, adverse childhood experiences, probably eight out of 10, you know, um, and, and so um, school, school was difficult. A lot of times I didn't have what I really needed. And, and then I was fearful. Um, I used to call it butterflies, but it, I, now I know it's anxiety. And so a lot of times I didn't eat and, you know, and things like that. Um, and a lot of times, um, like I said, my mom had different men, which typically was friends in and out of the house um, that she was dating. And she was a bootlegger. And a lot of violence happened in my house uh, because of the selling the alcohol and the food, some stabbing, some shooting, some things um, when I was young. And it, it impacted me in a great way. It impacted me uh, bad. But 
my mom, um, I witnessed her being beat like pretty bad. And the last one I remember, she kind of snuck out of the house when she was getting beat. And the guy, I guess he was so intoxicated um, that he he killed the neighbor. He started for this two times and put her in the alley. And my mom had luckily um, left the house. And so th- it was things like that. Um, when I was 17, my dad got out of prison. We started hanging out and we started getting high. Uh, I'm 17. I get high. The first time I get high, my dad, he overdosed. And I didn't know what to do. It was a lady that he was dating downstairs. I called out to her and um, and they and they brought him back, went to the hospital and all of that. And so after that, we didn't stop. We we kept going. We was on the streets together, um, doing anything to get drugs, you know, everything you can to to get drugs. And eventually I went to jail and I was sentenced to seven and a half years. And while I was waiting to go to to uh, prison, my dad came in. So we was in the same jail at the same time. And um, and the jail was crowded. Uh, actually, it was people sleeping on the floor, but I, I gave my dad my bed and I slept on the floor. And my, that was my first time under the same roof overnight with my dad. And it was weird because we played chess and stuff like that together. And I was happy with that little interaction with my father that I had never had, even though I was incarcerated. And so the incarceration part kind of went away um, because of uh, the experience of just having some kind of normalcy with my father. What I failed to mention is that before we, I even went to jail, one day I was robbed at gunpoint by my father, at gunpoint by my father. And that was kind of what he did to, to get his drugs. But while we was in jail, I kind of understood because I had my own experience with drugs, uh, methadone program. Um, I had, I had my mom, one of my mom's boyfriends shot me up when I was young and I contracted hip C from that. I didn't find out to um, later after my incarceration, but ended up, I get sent to a white post on my second or third turn of in and out of jail cycles of just using uh, mental health undiagnosed mental health and just self-medicating. I get sent to White Post, Virginia and to a diversion program and detention program. And so it's here. That's how I get to Winchester area. And I decided to stay. And then I eventually uh, brought my sister. My my, my mom turned over uh, rights to my sister's guardianships and I got custody of my son. Um, and so I decided I was going to try to make a new life um, for them. And so that's how I got here. And, and that uh, was the beginning of, of, of the process of me healing and, and going into recovery. So tell our listeners what it is you do now. <laughs> yeah, it is, uh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor and I'm a peer recovery specialist. I'm a certified peer recovery specialist. I'm a trainer of trainers. I'm a trainer of forensic peer re- recovery um, support. And so that's, that's, that's my titles. That's my rules. I'm a father. I'm a husband too. Our listeners don't get the, uh, I don't know, the gift of the video that we are currently on. So for all of our listeners, I'll tell you that Brian has a, a, a framed poster behind him with all these little handprints <laughs> that says best pastor hands down. <laughs> yeah, that comes from that looks our, like you got some youth. fans. <laughs> yeah, come from our youth department. Um, I'm grateful for that. That's awesome. So, well, I want to thank you, Brian, for sharing, uh, sharing a little bit about your life with us. 
Um, and I'm just wondering how your experiences influence the work you carry out each day, because I'm sure having those experiences, I mean, it, it might even be hard to articulate the impact that those have had. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so for peer support, peer support is based on lived experience, right? And so it's kind of gives you a resume or qualify you to even uh, meet somebody where they at, right? It's, it, 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 it makes it so that you can build rapport quick, right? You can forge um, uh, relationships quick because I can explain vividly what I went through, what I smelled, what I done. And so um, to kind of give you some credentials to say, I, I, I kind of been there, even though it may not have been the same, it's, it's similar, but they can tell that I had some experiences and, and I know some things. And, um, so um, it benefited me greatly to just meet people, to touch people, to give, provide a safe space, you know? And so it also gives me a, a sense of compassion, a deep compassion, because um, I can see myself when I see uh, the people that I work with, whether it's in church or on, on my job, you know? So um, my experience um, uh, qualifies me, gives me a resume and, and, build, and, and it enables me to connect. Connection is opposite of addiction. And it must, I mean, that, that's the core of connection to be able to say, to be able to see what we share and what, what I have lived through that's similar to what you have lived through. And maybe our experiences really aren't that similar, but there's something there that allows us to, to connect and move forward. Absolutely. Yeah. I like what you just said. That connection is the opposite of addiction. It's very true. So, um, Tell me, tell us about how your roles as a peer recovery specialist and a minister in the community interact in your day-to-day. Wow. And so for me, what I do and who I am are very close. Um, and so I live, what I say, what I do, it's, kind of, it's who I am in, in both um, spheres, whether I'm, I'm in the minister uh, role or I'm in the, the peer specialist role. Um, it's all a picture of redemption, right? Um, it's walking grace, visible grace that you can see. They both are supporting. Um, they both are flawed human beings with God-given abilities. They both serve. Um, they both partner. Even so, in my, in, in my church uh, community, we build a care ministry, right? And this ministry, uh, we just started this. We, this ministry um, is it, it, it's meant to transform uh, communities, but strengthen our church, but it's provide a safe space for people with substance use and, and mental health or co-occurring. And so literally what we did, I just, we just started this. I got some, natu- some p- natural help or some people that wanted to be involved. Um, and I, the demographic of our church is people with experiences um, or just traumatic experiences, domestic violence, you know, or uh, mental health or substance use. And so we took a survey and we had 75 questions and we get a 12 page report back. And from this, uh, we can build a, a template of, of our strength, what our weaknesses are. And we can develop, start trainings to see what our community needs. And so we got four R's, it's recognize, restore, uh, resource and read. And this is how I set up my church. And it's kind of like, we have some clinicians in our church and then they got pastoral, then they got peer. And this was like three levels of people in our church 
And so we recognized by the survey and then we began to brainstorm and come up with actionable items um, that we can implement in our church to provide real care. Because we don't want to re-traumatize people. Sometimes I know when I first entered that faith world, it's kind of re-traumatizing a little bit. Uh, And then we restore, we talk about resilient and burnout and compassion fatigue. And we train, we train on that. Then we provide resources um, to, to meet the need of our community, some foundational skills, some strategies to support the people. And then we reach. With reach, we, uh, we talk about language, communication, roles, responsibilities, um, how to fill out uh, intake forms, confidentiality. Um, and so I kind of, our, our church, although it's faith-based, is kind of set up almost like a place of mental wellness, too. You just shared so much, and I have a million questions for everything you just said. Um, first, I want to ask if, if you don't mind going into okay. a little bit more what you meant when you said that you're working hard as a community not to re-traumatize. Yeah, so uh, this, this. All right, so a lot of, a lot of times we ask, um, and even in church settings, uh, why did you do this instead of what happened? And why is kind of um, attacking a person and accusatory to a person? What happens gives space to um, how did you get here? I want to know, like, how did you get to this place? You know, and and it gives space for a person to talk and and you can listen and see. Because a lot of times, um, I'll say it like this. You can see a person out in the water. One person may think they're swimming. And, and the person can, and having fun, but the person can actually be drowning. And so a lot of times uh, people that don't understand think people are just having fun and literally they drown you know, and they drown. And so uh, when I enter the church, um, because they don't understand traumatic incidents and childhood trauma and things like that um, and language, um, it can it can be very offensive and it can it can feel like a red zone. It can it can trigger it can trigger you by just going in that space because of the lack of knowledge, the lack of understanding, um, and then over spiritualizing some things. Um, yeah, that's a really a really useful analogy. I like that. <laughs> yeah. um, a very wise professor. Mm-hmm. In college taught me the difference between why and what and how yeah. much of a difference it makes and yeah it's it's really true it it totally changes the conversation it changes it changes yeah approach it that way yeah um, something else i want to ask about that you said was you mentioned serving and partnering yeah and i think those two acts go together but they're different Right. I would say Absolutely. I would love your take on that. Absolutely. Um, and so partnering is walking alongside someone. Right. And so that's not going too fast, not going too slow uh, when you're trying to assist or support someone, when you're facilitating change. It's going at the pace of the person. And so it's not you're not trying to persuade them, coerce them, manipulate them to do whatever you think they should be doing, right? And so you partner to them, partner with them and you actually, yes, just walking alongside of them and you building a plan based off of their thoughts, their ideas, their dreams, their vision, what they see, 
And so it may take a lot of motivation to interview and the things like that, asking a lot of questions, but it's really not trying to put your idea on a person. And so when you talk about serving, you're talking about serving. I'll give you this, I'll give you this one example. This just happened yesterday. All right, so I was serving a young man uh, in my peer support group, right? This young, this man, older man, older white man, um, um, nobody could connect with him that was on our team before I got there. And and I and I was able to build rapport with him, right? They didn't want to work with him at one point because he was saying racist stuff and did some things over two years ago. And so it was kind of like just ignoring that he still need help, right? And so I built rapport. But yesterday I took him to his doctor. He got upset and he started using racist slurs, right? N-word or whatever. And when he got in the car, we was talking. And then he got upset at me. He started calling me the N-word and, and all that. Um, but we talked. I still took him to get medication, stuff like that. And when he came back to the car, he, he, he said, I'm sorry. He said, I'm sorry. He said, I shouldn't talk to you like that. He said, um, I, I, shouldn't do, I shouldn't do that. And then he says, uh, you changing me. He said, you changing me. And in that moment, what I heard was, um, because you didn't respond like everybody else respond, uh, I, I'm going to do something different. And so that's serving, right? Willing to lay my life down and be uncomfortable um, and even take some licks um, to help facilitate a person moving forward. There's a lot of grace in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what you're describing is completely impossible without a good, a large helping of humility when we're right, walking absolutely. into these spaces where we can be serving and partnering. Right. So you, you have to understand that it's not about you. Like going into this, if you go into either role and you think it's about you, you will hurt people along the way. You know what I mean? And so what I had to learn is even when I tell my story, I, I couldn't tell it um, from a place of bragging or to make me feel good. I had to always tell it from a broken place and only tell what's needed. Um, and so it's an art to telling your story so that it can benefit someone else. And so it's always about the benefit of the person to do no harm. I appreciate you saying that because I think it's easy to feel like humility helps and it's a great thing to have. But, but like you just said, the reality is that a lack of humility or really self-centered approach is truly harmful. It's not yes. just that the opposite is an added bonus. It's that we can really do damage when we walk into it. Yeah, and we'll become a stumbling us. block or a barrier we'll become a barrier to a person wellness we, we actually be a barrier mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so i want to um something else i love that you said in uh in the past couple minutes was this walking visible grace and you wrote a book about your life that was published yeah. in 2019 yes. and yeah. uh when we spoke before you identified the authoring of the book as part of your healing and said yeah. that it really gave you permission to your words or step out in courage, which I loved. Um, yeah. I just would really appreciate it if you could speak more to that. Yeah, I, I wrote a book called From Dope Frame to Son of a King. And so um, it's from trauma to triumph. And, and it's from my road to recovery um, or redemption. I, I wrote it um, not to sell books. I wrote it 
really as a sacrifice, sacrificing myself, my story, uh, being vulnerable uh, for a greater cause. In that, some things happened to me as a young man, a young boy, as a kid. And at that time, in our families, it was what happens in this house stays in this house, right? And what was in that house was killing me. It was killing me when I was in the house. It was killing me when I got out of the house. It was killing, it was continuing to kill me. And so what I realized is that um, if I share it, I, it'll, it'll, it'll contribute to me healing, but I also will give space for people to be able to share their own story. And that's exactly what happened. And so I shared the story, not attacking anyone, right? Not attacking anyone, not trying to get back in or not trying to expose anyone, but it's my story. It's just sharing my story, what happened to me, what caused me um, to be the way that I am and, and, and the things that I did, how, I, how my thinking got that way, um, how I couldn't sustain meaningful, meaningful relationships or friendships and, and authority was, um, I, I didn't really trust a thought, how I got to that space. So I was like, man, um, not that I was so happy to do it, but I, I said, I'm gonna do it. And I, and I just wrote it and I, wanted, I just wrote it because I wanted to say, you're not alone. Like you're not the only one, it's more of us. Like it's more of us um, and we do get better and we do live. And we, and, and we can't have the life that we deserve or desire. And so that, that's why I did. That's why I did. What has the reception been? Like? Man, uh, a lot of people got a lot of secrets when I found out, right? There's a lot of secrets. And it gave people courage to step out, especially at my church and people that everybody that I talked to, it, I can't, it brought them in that space, right? But it also highlighted things in their life. Um, and for most of them, it gave them um, courage to say, to have conversation. Because that's all it's about, conversation. I'm not accusing you. Um, like, I take full responsibility for the choices I made, right? I, I, I do. What I did is what I did. But I can't ignore the fact that some things contributed to the way I became. Like, I, I can't ignore that, you, you know? And so it gave permission to to say, hey, when this happened, I felt this way, you know? Or when this happened, it seemed like you were saying this, or, you know, or I felt this way when you did this to me, you, you know? And so it gave, uh, it gave them a roadmap to healing, <laughs> like, because you can't, it's, it's impossible to heal without confronting it. Like, it's impossible. It's just let people know, because not only just the book, but they see where I am, they see the things that I do, so that was uh, just as great an impact than my story, but they seeing the, the results or the fruit or the benefit of me doing it, the freedom, the authenticity, you know, the freedom. So, um, and then they see, I, I want freedom. They see, I want that. I want whatever that is, I want that. And so the response has been great. Uh, and it's been, at, at first it was, um, you know, people thought I was attacking people. So family, was family was why are you write this? Why are you telling everybody business? Why you had to put it in? But you know, it was that kind of thing. Like people calling people I haven't heard from, and you know, and and it was like, it was it was it was like uh, I I tried to explain that I wasn't you know attacking about it. Now this is just my story, man. This is what I've been through. Some people understood, some people didn't. Some of the main people, like mother and father, that contributed. My mom, 
I think she was mad for a little while. I did not much. My dad, he actually read it. And he in there with, you know, I robbed, he robbed me. We in jail together, you know, all this stuff. And he was like, he was like, man, I'm proud of you. You know, he was like, I'm proud of you. He didn't even take it as I, um, like I attacked him or nothing. He knew that was, this, he knew that's what happened. You know what I mean? He knew, and a matter of fact, the week before he died, a couple of days before he died, um, he apologized for it. A couple of days before he died, he said, hey, man, man, I had you in the streets. I did this, 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 this. And I told him, man, listen, um, I've been through it myself. I forgive you. Um, I said, look where I'm at, man. And he just was like, but I'm ashamed. You know, uh, I'm ashamed. Um, but so I think it did. It freed a lot of people. I think I can take the backlash. I can take whatever for people to get free. I, I could take it. The domino impact of telling the truth is so it's almost miraculous i mean the the freedom yeah. that that brings for yourself and for others yeah and, and then and- most people listen the most people that started off really mad later down months later they call and say hey man you when you said this and then they want to talk about it and they want to you know and mm-hmm. so but in front of everybody or the family or whatever it's one thing but then individually they secretly call you know yeah. Yeah. Well, and how empowering it must feel for a person to hear you say, yes, you're responsible for your actions and your choices and your behaviors, but also let's look at what happened and the, the other people who influenced that and the life circumstances that you had that all meshed together to create yeah. what happened, you know? Yeah. Yes. 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 So, I want to, this is related, but (laughs) kind of going in a different direction. Um, And I think I already know the answer to this, but I want to hear it in your words, because I know that you firmly believe, as do I, that everyone can recover and can heal. So I just love to hear what contributes to that belief for you. Oh, man. My life. My story. I'm a witness, you know, um, I've witnessed the forgotten get up. I've witnessed the hopeless game hope, you know, I've witnessed change on many different levels. You take, I've never been to high school before. I've never been to high school because of so much was going on. At a, I was so much was going on. I never been to high school and I went through a lot of things in prison, out of prison as a young kid. And, you talk about the black sheep, the, the marginalized, the stigmatized, the, the downtrodden, the, you're talking about the broken, the rejected, the abandoned. Um, I've witnessed them walk again. I witnessed them live again. I witnessed them breathe again. I've witnessed them have life, you know, not really stuff, but I, I witnessed them have life and peace and joy, uh, things um, that they can carry through eternity. Um, and so, I know it's possible. Like, I know it's possible. People counted me out. They said I'd never be done. And the first time in prison, they told me I wasn't going to live to 25. I'm 48 now. So I've seen, I've seen it. I've witnessed it. People, I've witnessed providers saying they won't make it. I've witnessed jailers say they won't make it. And I've seen them make it. Like, I've seen grace just come upon them. I've seen lives change. I've seen the dead rise. Yeah. 
You got the evidence and the proof. You got the evidence right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Brian, why is it so important for us to acknowledge and really celebrate that recovery looks different for everyone? This is huge. It's so that we won't isolate people, right? So that we won't isolate people, um, so that everybody be included. It's inclusive, you know. You can't block nobody out of recovery because of your own thoughts, your own ways. You can't, you can't, you can't, you know, put them on the outside because they didn't do it your way, right? It's evidence that proved that many pathways work, right? That it's evidence that proved that. Um, some go to nature, some start exercise, some, you know, some go to meet, some don't go to meet. So some some believe in a power how it's higher than themselves, right? And so it's evidence out there that states that we all individuals, right? And we all got a different genetic makeup and different things work for different folks, right? And, and what works, what don't work for you may work for me. And so you can't tell me it may not work for me because you're not me, right? And so I, we got to get permission for many pathways so that people can find their own way their own way and what success look like uh, for them and what works, what works for them. And, and I think that's why storytelling is so crucial because then the more stories we tell, the more stories we share and promote, then there's just more examples out there of people yeah. doing it different ways and making yeah. it work and yeah. uh, moving forward. Yeah. And so this, this is the thing for me that I learned. My, my way was non-traditional and unconventional. And, and that's what peer support is a lot of the times. It, what you think work, you don't work for everybody, you know? And so when I come in recovery, most of it was just this way or you're not doing it right kind of thing, you know? And, it, and it's almost like they'll try to take from you what you achieving and saying, and saying you don't have what you have because you didn't do it my way, like as the, the example, you know? And so we had that mind frame. Um, even in, in the treatment world, did you go do this? Did you do this and do this, do this, do this, do this? Like we, we set a cookie cutter and we say everybody got to fall under that. And whoever don't fall under that, they don't want it, right? Now, what if it don't work for me? What if I don't fit in that? You know, what if I just don't fit in that? And so I think we changed it and we headed in the right direction. Um, it's many pathways um, listed. Treatment even um, starting to include uh, different things. You, you can like music, you can like art. I didn't done uh, groups in all kind of way, creative way, ways, uh, music, people recover just differently, just, just differently. Um, I, a theme of this podcast has become me misquoting <laughs> quotes that I like, <laughs> but there's the Rocky movies are my favorite. And in yeah. one of them, there's a scene where uh, Rocky is receiving a pep talk and uh, the person talking to him is like, it doesn't even matter how this looks to anyone else. If this is something you got to do, then you do it. Yeah. And it's true. And, and I'll put the it. actual quote in for everyone <laughs> in, uh, in the episode description so that I don't uh, misquote Mr. Stallone. But uh, it's true. And I really yeah. I think it's a special, a special thing to acknowledge. And like I said, celebrate those differences. Yeah, that's good. So if you're willing to share, I'd love to hear what some of the key features or elements of your long-term recovery are. Yeah, I'm going to take you for a little twist for a minute, okay? I hope you don't mind. So I, I usually say long-term recovery and, 
and and in every space that's the new lingo or language but then i'm beginning to think what is long-term coverage because what's long-term to me is not long-term to you you know some people make it 30 days and they never made it 30 days before and for them that's long term for me it's been 10 years plus right no drinking no alcohol and no behaviors uh, that resemble that for me the behaviors are more than the actual use and so i need to stay away from the behaviors the stinking thinking that i need to stay away from those things right um and so when you talk about long-term recovery uh like i say that's different from everybody too i seen this quote i seen this quote recently that said i'm not in recovery to add days to my life i'm in recovery to add life to my days and so that's what it is for me. I just want to live one day at a time. Like that's long term for me. If I'm healthy today, if I'm making great choices today, if my behaviors are great today, right? Like today, that's all I have is today. Um, and that's a long term. 24 hours is a long term, you know, uh, for me. And so even that term and some groups and circles, we've been talking about it. And that's what I found out too. Time don't equal recovery. I found this out. Time don't eat. Some people are abstinence, but they're not in recovery. They're not in recovery. A lot of stuff, the choices and decisions and things they do is still the behaviors of a person that's in addiction, right? And so even though they may be abstinence uh, or even compliant, it doesn't equal recovery. And so time doesn't equal recovery. But for me, uh, my spirituality, you know, I, I got to have my spirituality, my prayer, my worship, my believing in the power that's higher than me that can bring me back to um, a place of healing, of wholeness, um, that loves me, that have a purpose and a plan for me that's peaceful. I talk about, um, I learned some of the SMART, the acronym for SMART, specific, uh, measurable, attainable, right? Relevant in time, sensitive or time. Uh, and so that's how I plan every aspect. I use the seven dimensions of wellness, that spirituality included in that environment, right? Uh, financial stuff. And so I, I plan, strategically plan, make a vivid, smart plan for every area of my life because I literally didn't know how to live. I learned how to write a checkbook in prison. I had never knew, I learned how to write a checkbook. I did life skills. My basic life skills, I learned while I was in prison, right? And so how to problem solve, I learned in prison, right? So now um, I got the smart acronym that I could use for every dimension of my life. Uh, for me, honesty, participating in honesty is the number one of the number one thing. Uh, I have to be honest with myself and every everybody else. Um, I got a desire to want to do good, do well, right? Um, and I take it one moment at a time. One moment at a time. Such a strengths-based take on the concept of long-term recovery. I really, really appreciate what you just shared. I really do. Thank you. And, Thank you. and I think, uh, I, I don't know. I feel like, you know, when you're in school and you're younger, you got all these worksheets and templates and it's like really helpful. And then, you know, maybe if you're in some kind of program as an adult or you're in recovery, you get more tools. And then, mm -hmm. but for the most part, we don't use these personal inventories or tools and they can be really helpful. Like yeah. to think of my own goals. Sometimes I set a goal and I, then I put it in the context of a smart goal. I'm like, yeah. Casey, what are we doing here? This is not, <laughs> this is not specific or realistic. And, yeah. and it's a helpful reset or, or to, to kind of take an inventory, look at our lives and say, Hmm, 
if I'm looking at the dimensions of wellness, there are a couple that are really lagging. How can I be more intentional? And I think those can just be really helpful as we navigate our daily life to say, where am I at? Where am I going? Where have I been? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because for me, it's it's good to have like a crisis plan, a post-crisis plan, a pre, but that don't help me live. That's building around a problem for me. That's building around a problem. I want to build around solutions in life, right? I can have those plans. I want to focus a lot on them. I want to notice them, have them, but I want to know how to live rather than how to feel or keep coming back after feeling. I want to know how to live. And I think if you, what you focus on, you give more power to from my perspective. And so if I focus on how to live in every dimension of my life, how to plan, uh, um, how, how to, uh, I think it'll, um, it's more beneficial to me than to keep talking about problems and triggers and, you know, and stuff. And they all important, um, but I need to know how to live. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brianne, if someone is listening and is feeling inspired by you, which I would guess most of the people listening are feeling, and they feel this pull to use their own life experiences to give back maybe in a way that relates to recovery or not, you know, whatever their life experiences may be. Yeah. What, what advice for that journey or process would you offer? First, I'll say to them is um, to heal much as possible. You know, your personal healing. Although you wasn't in charge of the hurt that happened to you, you are in charge of the healing that could take place. So I say focus on the healing, right? and get rid of all shame and all guilt. I say, you know, forgive quick. Learn to forgive quick, you know. Um, If you plan to share, you self-disclose at a level that you're comfortable with, right? Don't allow nobody to force you to disclose things you're not ready for, don't want to, or they want you to brag about, you know? So you just find out what your comfort level is, right? It got to be passion. It can't be for pay. Like if you if you're gonna do anything, um, it can't be about money. It's, it's money will come, <laughs> but it got to be about uh, passion and get trained. Get trained. Learn language that's appropriate. Trauma informed. Uh, be trauma informed. The art of telling your story. Right. Um, learn what to say, when to say it. You know, and how much to say, depending on where you are. Right. Um, because that can be, uh, I remember when I first started out, I just liked to tell my story and I found out that, uh, sometimes I was just talking too much and I wasn't even listening to the person. I made it about me, you know, uh, and you identify triggers, especially if you want to hurt, um, help someone or plan to help someone identify your triggers. Um, because when you're in the, uh, serving, serving business, serving slash helping business, um, anything can happen at any moment, at any moment. We see overdoses and just everywhere now. At the store, you go to the store, at the bathroom, at the, just anywhere now. And so know, you know, your triggers and be professional, right? <laughs> Learn to be professional, operate in excellence. Do practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. That's what I had to, um, had to be honest with myself and, and say that I can't help no one if I'm not in a good place. Like, if I'm not in a good place, it's, I'm no benefit uh, in that moment for that person, right? And so, well, I can't even kind of like 
suggest or give advice or recommend um, things that I'm not even doing, like I'm not even doing, because uh, the person that you're serving will recognize that. They, they, they will, they, they'll recognize it, they'll pick that up. And so, like I said, heal, heal first, heal first, um, forgive quick, get rid of the shame and the guilt, find yourself worth um, before you, before you move on. That's a lot of good advice. I hope everyone's taking <laughs> notes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Brian. Um, Thank you. Now for the question we ask all of our guests, what does the process of awareness to action mean to you? Awareness to action. I got a lot to come to mind. Awareness. To, I wonder who came up with this, first of all, but because I, I, I like, matter of fact, I say, what does the process and the word process that uh, it really stuck out to me, right? It was a process of awareness um, to action. And so that kind of reminds me of a few things. First one be the process from theory to life, right? From theory to life. A lot of people speak from the theory realm. But in life, it's, 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 it's a whole different thing. It's not, I know what it's saying in theory, but in life, um, you see something different. Um, it's from what I, I, I know or believe to manifestation, to, to seeing it in action, right? It's connecting the dots. Um, it's doing it in real time. It's the application of awareness. I'm putting it to work, right? I'm proving what I believe. You, you can see what I'm saying, right? And so it's not just lip service. Absolutely. It's walking the talk. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, Brian, thank you so, so much for joining us on the show. Um, I think that your, your introspection and your hopefulness and just your commitment to your community are all real gifts. And I'm, I'm feeling very grateful and inspired <laughs> after <laughs> Uh, having you share them with us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really um, consider it a privilege to be up here to even share my story. So I, I thank you. Even anytime I get an opportunity, I thank you. I tell you this, just last year in November, I had COVID. I was in ICU for five days. Um, doctor came in and say, um, you know, medicate treatment not working and all that. Um, and um, in those moments, um, I, things start, life, perspective of life kind of change, you know what I mean? Because anything can happen at any time. And so I think, I just thank you for this. I thank you for this opportunity. Well, I'm glad you're here today. Glad <laughs> that you made it through that and are still uh, doing such important work. So thanks again. Thanks for listening. And thank you again to Brian for joining us on the show and for sharing your experiences and perspective. If you liked this episode, share it with someone. And make sure you subscribe to Awareness to Action so you don't miss out on any of the conversations we have coming up. 